Hey, Retrospectors, for our third birthday, we've filmed an hour-long Q&A answering your questions. We discuss our favourite facts, how we make the show, and what we've learned along the way. If you're already supporting us on Patreon, thank you. You can watch it right now at patreon.com slash retrospectors. And if you're not a Patreon member, sign up. You don't have to pay a thing to become a free member and watch it now. So check it out. It's free. Patreon.com slash retrospectors. It's November 19th, 1906. And another remarkable event is about to be uncovered by Aria, Rebecca, and Ali, the Retrospectors. It was on this day that the British Olympic Council sent a letter agreeing to host the 1908 Olympic Games in a curious reversal of the usual bidding process that pits potential host cities against one another. And no, this was London going, okay, yeah, I guess we will. But with just two years on the clock until the Games were due to open, a host was needed after the original host Rome pulled out after the eruption of Mount Vesuvius. Yeah, Britain stepped in as a last minute replacement, a bit like Christopher Plummer for Kevin Spacey. (laughs) (laughs) Though less controversially Uh, yeah so mount vesuvius had erupted in april of 1906 devastating naples and the italian government probably quite shrewdly had decided that it would not look good if they splashed a lot of public cash on hosting the olympics so it had to be hastily reassigned to london which was one of four cities which had originally bid for the games and to be honest you can understand why the italian government made that decision because at the time the olympic dream was looking like a bit of a failure i love looking Mm. back at things like this which are just institutions (laughs) now right the olympics isn't going anywhere but at this point you know they'd start in 1896 so we're getting ready for the fourth olympiad at this point and the previous games the 1904 saint louis games had been really underwhelming not that many people had attended obviously a big part of that was the fact that it was being held in the united states and lots of people either couldn't or didn't want to travel to compete so it was just a bit of a damn squib and it was kind of looking like it was going to be the same in london to the extent that the organizers arranged to run it at white city in london alongside another event that they knew would be a guaranteed crowd pleaser, the Franco-British Exhibition. (laughs) Well, that was an economic decision as much as anything else. So the chairman of the British Olympic Association, Lord Desborough, he persuaded the organisers of the Franco-British Exhibition to fund and build the stadium next to the site that they already had for the Franco-British Exhibition. So that's why it happened that way. But that did mean that in addition to quite a cool stadium, which I'm sure we'll get on to shortly, there was, in the background, a flip-flap. Did you see that? I don't even know what it is. The (laughs) flip-flap. I know I just sound like Boris Johnson wanking on at some conference now. (laughs) The flip-flap was a sort of prototype Ferris wheel meets a kind of Eiffel Tower. On Put wheels. me on that. So you had like <laughs> two towers that crossed each other um, that were basically steel arms stretched out on opposite sides of a central base that rose from the ground to a height of 200 feet, each arm carrying a platform that could accommodate 50 passengers. So it was just a ride, basically, mm. that was part of this Franco-British exhibition to celebrate the Entente Cordiale. And they kept it up for the London 1908 Olympics. And a lot of the games, those early games, were associated with some sort of fair. The 1900 Paris Games were part of the World's Fair. And then the St. Louis Games, they were part of the Louisiana Purchase Exposition. And they also just featured these kind of weird things. Like at the Paris Games, events were just happening around the fact that the World Fair was there in the first place. But they had like peculiar events like firemen putting out a blaze, ballooning or obstacle (laughs) swimming races, 
all of which I would love to see as part of yeah. the uh, Contemporary Olympics. But at the St. Louis Games, there were a couple of events that I definitely wish had made it through. One was mud fighting <laughs> and the other one was climbing a greased pole, which you could also put those two events together, I reckon. Totally. <laughs> The London 1908 Games wouldn't end up with as many zany events, but they did have some that would be considered very unusual to us now. So as well as tennis, they also had rackets, which is kind of like squash, and jeu de paume, which is like an early version of tennis. You have polo, lacrosse, tug of war, deer shooting, pistol dueling with wax bullets. So basically it's like a day at a public school, which might account for why (laughs) this is the only Olympics in which Great Britain won more medals than anyone else with 56 golds and 146 medals in total. Three times the number won by the second place team, the United States. Yeah, I mean, it's a well-known trope for host cities to try and sneak in their country's preferred sports. But I've got to say, Britain really took the cake in this one. Was there Olympics eaten wool game as well? (laughs) (laughs) Well, they have won, keep in mind, that they won a total of 146 medals, as you said. At the previous Olympics in St. Louis, they won two. And at the next (laughs) Olympic Games in Stockholm, they would win 41. And it definitely helped that they had double the amount of athletes of any other team. I guess because of the transportation limits of the day, they just flooded the field with their own. And the absolute peak was this rackets event, right? They had seven athletes participating, all seven of them representing Great Britain, and they won us seven of those 146 medals. Brilliant. <laughs> but let's just talk about the stadium quickly, because I think that helps underline the sort of carnival atmosphere we're hinting at here, because I think mm. it's the only time that the modern Olympics have the swimming pool for the swimming events dug into the stadium. I mean, how cool is that? So you had Which like the great. gymnastics I love it. and the marathon finish line was there as well, and the track and field, <laughs> and the rugby... And the swimming all happening in the same place. It's cool, but it was also a little bit disastrous because the Olympics of 1908 was this massive washout and all of the mud from all of the other sports fields started washing into the pool that was in the centre of the stadium. Oh, is that why they had the Olympic mud fighting? Is that how they finished it off? <laughs> that must be, yeah. No, but but as the as the games wore on, the, the swimming pool just got swampier and swampier <laughs> until by the end it was so murky that apparently competitors were colliding with one another just in the swimming races, you know. (laughs) But beyond all this, I think these games are now known for one pub quiz fact in particular. If you remember anything from this episode, it should be this. It will come up one day. It is these games that established the distance for, Rebecca? The marathon. (laughs) The modern (laughs) marathon, yes. Uh, Which was calculated from Windsor Castle to White City uh, because, supposedly, Queen Alexandra requested that the race start on the lawn of Windsor Castle so that the littlest royals could watch from the window of their nursery. I mean, it sounds whimsical. <laughs> sounds totally like the royal family. <laughs> and it sounds totally like the establishment would make things happen so that that is what, from thence, the marathon would be. Well, it's a quirky way of saying a distance. But beforehand, the marathon distance had been set at about 25 miles. So it was good that it was codified in some way. And this marathon in particular proved to be extremely eventful due to a controversy over the finish. So the South African runner Charles Heffron had been leading pretty much all the way. And unfortunately, he made a fatal mistake that I feel like a modern day marathon runner would not make, which was a mile and a half from the end. He accepted a drink of champagne from a well-wisher on the route. (laughs) (laughs) Schoolboy era. And that gave him a cramp. Understandably, you're running, you're glugging your champagne. There's all the bubbles, which allowed the Italian Dorando Pietri to surge past him. 
However, once he got into the stadium, he was exhausted. He became disorientated. He started running the wrong way around the stadium and he fell over and <laughs> officials had to pick him up. And during the stadium lap, which was the final closing lap of the whole marathon, he was picked up four times in total by officials who obviously were just really admiring his spirit and wanted to help him over the line. Mm. Uh, unfortunately, he was then disqualified after the race because it was obviously ruled that he had been assisted and the gold ended up going to the American runner Johnny Hayes. However, Pietri did win in the end, in a way. Queen Alexandra gave him a gilded silver cup as a sort of compensation prize. And Irving Berlin wrote a song about him. <laughs> That's cool. It's not his best. <laughs> Even so. It's written in kind of music hall Italian dialect. I can't see it being revived anytime soon. It's no putting on the Ritz. <laughs> and Arthur Conan Doyle, of all people, persuaded the Daily Mail to start a fundraising campaign to help him buy a bakery. These are just random words you've put together in a sentence, Rebecca. This can't be history. <laughs> I know. I couldn't find any evidence that Pietri wanted to open a bakery, but maybe, maybe it was reported <laughs> at the time they did. Maybe that's the second verse. So the marathon wasn't the only controversial race at the Olympic Games this year either. The 400 metres was won by the American, J.C. Carpenter. However, he was then disqualified by the British umpires because he had allegedly been obstructing the British competitor, Wyndham Hullswell, very British name. Mm-hmm. And the reason that this was controversial was that the American and the British athletics officials had different definitions of what obstruction was. So the race was ordered to be rerun, but Carpenter and the other runners, who were all American as well, refused to participate, which led to, you know, the kind of sad, farcical spectacle of Halswell running it alone and winning, surprise, surprise, the gold medal. But because of all these controversial decisions at the 1908 Games, this led to the creation of the International Amateur Athletic Federation, which standardised track and field competition rules internationally to make sure this kind of thing couldn't happen again. Champagne only to be drunk before and after events, <laughs> not during. So fun fact to finish with about Lord Desborough. He is one of the few people ever to read his own obituary because it was mistakenly published in the Times on the 2nd of December 1920, 25 years before he actually died. No. The subs had confused him with Lord Bessborough, who had died. Oh, um, yeah. I can see that being like, a, that's like an audio mistake, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Lord Desborough actually lived to the age of 90. And died in 1945, <laughs> having read his own obituary. Which I'd, I'd like to do. I wouldn't you? Yeah. If you had access to your own obituary, you'd want to read it, wouldn't you? Ollie man, good with toast. <laughs> <laughs> Tomorrow. Martin Luther King was the person who stopped her. He apparently told her how much he loved the show. Love the show? Support the show. Patreon.com slash retrospectors. Part of the ACAST Creator Network.